Welcome back to your ongoing pursuit of your Bachelors of Multifamily Science here at the Apartment Academy, the multifamily industry's only operations-focused podcast. I'm your host, the Dean of the Apartment Academy, Daniel Cunningham, and today, it's just us. It's office hours here at the Apartment Academy. We're going to have a little one-on-one talking about what happened in 2022 and some of the trends that we can see already for 2023 because it's been an interesting year and it's going to be an interesting year. So just us today. Let's get into it. Well, let's start off by talking about um, the lawsuit that was filed against RealPage and and a number of their clients this year. Um, The lawsuit is alleging price fixing and 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 collusion um, between operators, uh, as facilitated through what many people still call YieldStar, but is now actually I think it's called RealPage Revenue Management. Um, and if you if you haven't used this software, um, then um, I'll explain a little bit about how that works. But if you have used the software, you know that that all that's happening here. Is this is the same kind of revenue management system that is used by airlines, hotels, rental car companies, cruise lines? Um, you are trying to set the most competitive pricing possible based on what the market can bear. Um, in the past, what this has looked like is you go down, you you send a, your community manager or your leasing agent, and they they go and they canvass the the area and they they. They visit other properties. Maybe sometimes they pretend like, you know, they're leasing. Sometimes you get a friendly relationship. You pick up the phone and call. But you're you're trying to ascertain what are other people charging. Um, the guy down the street's charging fifteen hundred dollars for a one bedroom. You look at that and you think, well, my pool's a little nicer, so we're going to charge sixteen hundred. But there's always been uh, this this marketplace that is based on charging whatever rent you think you can garner based on what everybody else seems to be garnering or and what you're garnering of course at your own at your own community but um but in the past we've just been limited to that data set some subjective uh, assessment uh by somebody working at the property as to how you compare to the guy down the street and therefore what you can charge that nothing has changed about the way rents are set in that respect, what what Yieldstar allows you to do, and LRO and some of the others that revenue management systems that are out there, what they allow you to do is to take in other factors that affect your um, your net revenue, your effective rent. Um, that, frankly, is too time consuming, difficult, complicated uh, for mere mortals. Uh, to figure out on their own. So they take into account things like what is your average time to turn a unit? Okay, because that's a loss. Uh, if you're going to raise rents on somebody, you have to make sure that the amount that you think you can raise rents is going to offset the amount of time that the, the unit is offline while you turn it. And then what your average time to lease a ready unit is, because the combination of the time to turn a unit and the time it takes to lease it, that's a period where you're losing rent. And that's not really ever figured into the equation in a meaningful way before revenue management software came along and said, okay, this is what your average loss is going to be if you raise rents and this person moves out. Um, 
uh, it looks into the average cost. It takes into account things like the average cost to turn a unit, um, and 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 other factors that, again, never really factored into good decision making before. And now it can take all of that into account, and uh, and allow multifamily operators to make a better, more informed decision about what the right what the right price is to charge for their unit. Um, that's all. There is no tacit agreement to artificially inflate rent between operators. Um, that's just that's just silly. Um, you. You, you cannot solve a supply and demand problem in housing affordability by restricting investors' ability to, to uh, earn the highest returns possible. You'll actually drive more developers out of this industry. You know, um, one of the things, because I've been on the developer side, one of the things that drives developers um, and, and investors in this industry is this notion that there's this this uh, diamond in the rough. There's this gem that's hidden by, you know, old uh, appliances or a poorly maintained facade. Um, <clears throat> that if you just inject the right amount of rehab or better management, coat of paint, better marketing, new signage, you inject these things into this property that you can create a better community, a more appealing community, and that you can raise rents, okay? If, if, you, if you start putting in blockages to people being able to, to sort of maximize rents, you are going to dissuade people who invest in apartments, who, who, um, who build apartments, who create housing, you're gonna dissuade them from getting in the industry because um, if they can't maximize the, their rent, or if they can't imagine that they can maximize their rent because you don't always get it right, um, then fewer people are going to get into the business, and fewer housing units are going to be created, etc. It's just it's it's uh, it's really targeting landlords unnecessarily because you know I guess everyone you have the option if you want to take a cruise, you have the option if you want to stay at a hotel, you have to live someplace, and maybe it feels worse that. Your that cost of living for you is being somewhat set by a piece of software or somewhat set by, um, you know, what the guys down the road are, are, are charging and maybe you don't feel that's right. Um, but that's the free market and the free market is what allows for the creation of new housing. Um, you know, rent control, another bad idea that sounds great. But ultimately, time after time, it's proven with, it's not, without a shadow of a doubt that rent control increases housing shortages because it dissuades people from getting into the industry because you can't charge the maximum rent for your unit. And when people don't want to build housing or people don't want to rehab crappy old you know, classy housing, then um, you end up with a shortage of, of places to live. And when, when rent control is in place, people never want to move out, which exacerbates the problem. So – um, I would think that this this lawsuit ultimately will not go anywhere. Unfortunately, great operators like Graystar and FPI are going to be dragged through the mud in the interim. They don't deserve this. Um, they are not colluding, um, and uh, and they'll have to spend a ton of money defending themselves. Um, unfortunately, in the meantime, my my best guess is that if anything comes out of this. 
that will negatively affect the industry on a long-term basis. It will be that revenue management software may disconnect a little bit some of the inputs that they have with respect to what they know about what the guy down the street is charging. We may go back to that input being, you got to figure that out. You got to go drive the, 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 the comps, the competitive set. You got to make the phone calls down the street to see what they're charging. Um, uh, RealPage may no longer be able to utilize the data it has to help suggest what those rates should be. Um, but revenue management, should and will, in my opinion, continue to play a central role in helping investors maximize their return on investment. The um, another thing that that was very interesting about 2022 was um, really the rise of virtual leasing. One of the things that came out of the pandemic is um, the, that we've dispelled this notion that people are really necessary. A, a, a in-person interaction is necessary in order to lease an apartment unit. I remember I said it myself when I was running apartment buildings because I heard it a million times from my mentors when I was early in the business, and that is that when people lease a, 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 a unit at a community, they're leasing you they're leasing you the leasing agent they they're they're creating a relationship with you and it's based on you and the that relationship you create less than it is <clears throat> based on the community itself that is not true turns out that was not true <laughs> and the pandemic proved it because we we saw you know we were forced into a mode where we didn't have people on site and yet people needed to find housing so how could we accommodate them well that was the rise of virtual leasing. Um, there, there are a number of flavors of how this happened. Um, there were just complete self-guided tours where you have a, a, a lock that can be remotely operated and a key assigned to that so people can get in and open a unit and take the tour on, them, on their own. You have, you have a great providers of video tours that came along. So maybe you, you can't get to the site, but you can see a very highly engaging video that shows you everything you need on the interior of the unit. Um, you had Skype, Zoom facilitated, uh, pseudo live interactions where you could have somebody who was with you as you were taking the tour, um, and all of these, um, all of these methodologies, which worked with varying degrees of success, uh, I all at the end of the day all proved that certainly for Class B and C properties where people are more price centric, uh, you can do virtual leasing very successfully achieve good occupancies, achieve market rents without somebody having to stand there at the property and, and walk the walk uh, the uh, prospects through the tour. Um, some evidence that class A properties uh, with really with above market rents and above market amenities and where you're really trying to sell an experience, some evidence that that a live person really helps still sell in that market. Um, but not in every case. Um, but, but it may, it may, it may not be a complete cure all for in all situations, but I would say certainly for most, I think a fourth type of virtual leasing is on the horizon and that is using augmented reality. So where you have a, you have a hollow lens, a magic leap type of headset where you can go into a unit, 
<clears throat> with this headset on, and you can virtually place your furniture. You can summon a leasing agent who can show up in front of you right there and ask them questions, and then they can be dismissed and go off when, when you're finished. Um, you can read and sign leases um, you know, right in front of you, right there on your own schedule. Um, I think that's coming. It's a little more, little more setup, a little more time. The tech is still kind of early. The Magic Leap has been stumbling out of the gate a little bit, <clears throat> but I think that that's on the way. And so, um, you you are going to be in in twenty twenty three. You're gonna you're going to be leasing more and more uh, properties without having a leasing agent there at the property on the front lines. And um, and I I think you're you are ushering in a day where um, you're going to have a completely touchless property. From the moment that you arrive to 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 look and see if you want to live there to the day that you move out, um, and some of that's going to be facilitated by centralization, which I want to talk about a little bit. So centralization really has been, I think, a central point of discussion at nearly every. Um, event that I've been to in the latter half of, of 2022. You know, what happened is during the pandemic and subsequently with the Great Resignation, we've been left with the dearth of maintenance and operations staff um, in, coming into our industry. A lot of them have been leaving the industry, um, frankly, because people can make better money in some cases, more easily, probably in all cases, from home. There's a lot of work from home options now that didn't exist, you know, two or three years ago. And this has always been an industry that's been difficult and hard on people for reasons we've talked about uh, here at the Apartment Academy on number on, on a number of occasions. It is um, you deal with a lot of emotional issues. You deal a lot of with a lot of abuse. Um, the Karen uh, effect is is in uh is often nowhere more prevalent than in apartment buildings when somebody's not happy and they take it out on the people that are there and budgets for operating communities for operating apartments don't often include luxurious salaries for those that are staffing the property. It's just one of the things that we've struggled with and, and, and in part for good reason. I mean, you, you, you can't, you have to, the communities have to be able to cash flow in order for investors to be interested in creating housing. And sometimes that's done on the backs of, of salaries that are lower than what people could get in other markets. And now they're finding out. So <clears throat> um, you, we're having a shortage of people uh, to staff our maintenance and our community manager and our leasing agent positions. And we are having a discussion. How can we do more with less? And that has really accelerated, I think, what's in the, been in the back of a lot of, of operators' minds for all, at least larger operators, which is this idea of centralization. Um, we have already, in many cases, although not all, centralized accounting. It used to be there was a day when I first got into business, everybody was doing their own bills on, on at the property level. They were approving POs, cutting checks sometimes. That has gradually migrated to centralized um, services where that's all being handled at a corporate office. Um, if you haven't done that, if you're still at a community where that's happening, 
you get somebody's got to wake up there because that's really not the most efficient way to handle payables. But so we saw the early instance of that. Uh, then we saw uh, in twenty well by really 2016, 2017, when you when the first um, companies that were were doing centralized tour scheduling, the kind of the anyone home sort of of uh, companies that were offloading the the and centralizing the role of receiving phone calls for lease inquiries, setting tours, providing information about the, the properties, that sort of thing. Um, that was kind of the first shot over the bow. Um, now we are looking at, we just talked about virtual leasing. We just talked about how virtual leasing now uh, might, again, allow us to do more with less on the leasing side. Um now the focus is on maintenance and how we can do more with less on maintenance. And generally, the, the directionally, it seems that what we're talking about is some version of creating pods where you would have a central, you know, core, a cohort of service managers, perhaps with some level of specialization, like one's the plumbing guy, the other guy's the HVAC guy, and those um, – uh, those service technicians are then dispatched throughout a portfolio on a on an as needed basis rather than being stationed at a property permanently um, the other uh, flavor of this is some extent you are outsourcing your maintenance to local providers who are probably more expensive probably definitely more expensive but if they're if they're provided on an on demand scenario they can be um they can be within you know what you would normally budget for those they can handle maintenance within what your normal budget maintenance uh costs would it would uh expect to be and so um you don't have this you don't have people on site you don't have people on staff uh you trade off some amount of control and maybe even some brand control and you hand that off to a third-party vendor, but that's been done successfully, and uh, and probably that will increase as well. Um, what I don't think, which is this third version that's that's being batted about, what I don't, and which I disagree with, which is I don't think that pushing maintenance to the residents is going to take hold. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a good idea. It would be, it would probably be limited to basic things anyway, such as changing smoke detector batteries. Or unclogging toilets, and I frankly think consumers expect those things to be part of the value they get through renting. It is part of the joy of living in an apartment building is not having to worry about any of the maintenance. And now you want to make residents unclog their own toilets. I don't think they want to do that. Um, I don't even think it's a good idea to have residents changing the batteries in their smoke detectors. What if they don't? Um, what if they're fine living with the chirping smoke detector or they pull the battery out and then the whole thing's dead and then you have you have a fire? Then whose fault is it if there's, you know, an injury or worse yet a fatality and you've pushed off the the maintenance to the person living in that unit who didn't do it and, and you didn't check to see if they did it. I, I just think it's fraught with a lot of a lot of issues. I know there are there is some models for this overseas. Um, the customer service expectations overseas are just different. 
than than the institutional, professional, managed properties you have in the United States, in my opinion. <clears throat> I just think that's a bad idea. But uh, but we'll see. And, and in any case, you're going to see fewer maintenance people employed by individual properties in favor of this kind of shared services model. By the way, this all plays right into the hands of the consolidation consolidation trend that has been taking place. Uh, you, in, in order to pull some of this off, you have to have scale. In order to have a pod of maintenance people, you need enough properties in that area that you can keep people full-time engaged by sending them around to, to a different communities. Um, and that happens best with large property management companies that have you know, at least five, 10,000 units, somewhere in that range. Um, it happens really well when you've got 20, 30,000 units where you can have regional centers of excellence and this sort of thing. And so uh, I think that we, this is the early death knell for your SMB boutique uh, property managers, um, which which some owners prefer because they feel like, and in many cases they do get a um, a level of attention um, and specialization that is different than what you get in a large national uh, property management company. Um, but as as a an industry where margins were already razor thin, starts to compress those margins further. By by moving out of the budget, um, a number of, of staff people, thanks to centralization, smaller operators are going to get squeezed out of there. I just I, I just think that's I just think that that's inevitable. But also things will get better on some fronts that that will really help this uh, that will really help uh, shuttle in this this era of centralization, and that is. Um, AI is getting uh, better by leaps and bounds. We've we already have chatbots and we have call centers. Um, many people are unhappy with call centers because oftentimes you're being handed off to, you know, a call center that's overseas. You, the prospect can tell it's overseas. The person overseas is not trained very well. There's a lot of turnover over there, and that's not been always the greatest experience. Um, but AI and automation are are getting much better fast. So very, very soon, you're going to have chatbots that are indistinguishable from a human being. I absolutely believe that. Uh, that They will pass the Turing test 99.9% uh, .9 of the time. If you're not playing around with ChatGPT, which just last week, I think, um, OpenAI uh, uh, unveiled this latest version, um, you should try it. Just so you can understand how well we're going to be able to answer leasing leasing questions, and and frankly a whole maybe management questions or maintenance who knows, but but certainly in the short term answering leasing questions via AI very soon effectively thoroughly in a way that feels like you have a human on on the on the other end of the line um, in in text for sure, and then very soon um, with artificially generated voices. That's very exciting. Um, it might be frightening to some people in that we are talking about a net reduction in the uh, in, in employment in the multifamily industry, for sure. 
I do think, and, it, and, 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 and believe it to be a good idea, that some of these dollars that are saved should go more to like resident-facing services, better concierge-type offerings, for example. Um, but we are, we are looking at a net decrease in the staff per unit math that we've all been used to. It was 50, uh, one person per 50 in the day. Uh, I was just talking to an operator out of Iowa who's, who, uh, who I love, I'll say her name, Tina Smothers, who was talking about, um, you know, they're, they're about a one per hundred. They think they're, they're much more efficient in that respect. Um, that's going to go to one per 200 or none at all and have a completely touchless apartment living experience I was talking about earlier. I think that's right around the corner. Um, and and if you're going to have less oversight, uh, I'll, I'll just take this opportunity to talk about Leonardo real quick here. You're going to need better technology to track the critical maintenance and operations activities that still need to be completed on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Um, and this is why I think you know, shameless plug, Leonardo 24-7 is going to grow and continue to grow rapidly as the industry standard for, you know, operations and maintenance software that is automating and tracking all of the critical inspections, um, preventative maintenance, workflows, incident reports, that sort of thing that, that need to take place still, even as we start to move people off of the property. These things still need to happen, and many of them need to happen on site. And you, you, you need some way to monitor that that's going on and then and give um, owners and operators real-time visibility that that's happening and not just cross their fingers um, that all that stuff is going on as, as scheduled. Um, so this centralization theme for Leo, I think, is probably um, is going to make Leo even more important than it is uh, already. Um, and... Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be there to serve and, and improve the technology to, to accommodate centralization as, as it progresses. Our last few minutes, let's, I, I want to talk a little bit about kind of the market in, in, in general and what we, what we think we can expect in 2023. Um, although this, if there has ever been a hazy crystal ball, this is this is the haziest. Um, we're talking a high level of opacity here, um, but there's a few things that we can say. First of all, this being December 2022, apartment demand has suddenly and unexpectedly evaporated in much of the country due to what appears to be a freeze in, in new household formation. Um, uh, that might be because people are anticipating the the a recession and and choosing not to go out and, and rent an apartment right now. You know, moving in with roommates, hunkering down. It doesn't appear like it's being driven by unemployment because we're not seeing that yet. But but the fact remains, after a blistering 2021 and early 2022, the industry has now recorded for the first time in 30 years, according to Real Page, that's been tracking this, that apartment demand. Um, registered as a negative in Q3. Not just not just demand reduced, it actually went negative, uh, which is unusual, well, unheard of in Q3, typically a very strong quarter. And um, as a result, uh, you know, when you see a reduction in demand, rental growth has reversed what has been a very strong trend for the past 18 months. I mean, it's been... 
uh, it's been almost amazing the levels of which some people have been able to raise rents. I, I get it. They they we weren't raising rents. We weren't doing anything for you know two years almost during the pandemic. But I don't think anybody expected rents to go up by 25, 30% or more. But that's what's happened. Um, and now that has come down, which, by the way, is normal for October, November timeframes. It's just we didn't see it last year. And so it is either a return to normal from that respect or it is a, a harbinger of what's to come and a response to the reduction in, in the housing um, demand, in apartment demand that, we, that I was just talking about. As long as unemployment rates and, and, and job openings continue to defy the threat of recession, then rents actually may continue to grow, probably definitely, in my opinion, more slowly than what we, we saw before, and they may not retract. Remember, we still have a national shortage of housing, somewhere between 3 million and 7 million units. That's not being addressed. In fact, it's getting a little worse because a lot of with the rise in interest rates and the cost to of materials and the cost of debt, um, developers have really taken their foot off the gas. So the creation of new housing stock has slowed significantly. Um, amazingly, apartment cap rates have continued to compress this year down to, I think, 5.3% is what I just read. Um, so... Um, that is that is unusual. That that is an indicator of a market that people think rents will keep going to continue to grow. Um, because if you're buying apartments at a high cap rate or low cap rate, you're expecting high growth in rents. Uh, and we have seen some sizzling rent growth. But but if you're going to buy a communities at a 5.3 cap or less, and I'm sure out here in California or strong markets like Texas, um. Uh, New York, I'm sure the cap rates are probably down still around threes. If you're going to buy an apartment building at that cap rate, you are counting on some sizzling rent growth to be able to justify this pro forma. Um, you, you, you are counting on that you're going to be able to raise rents because if you only operated the property what you bought it at today at that, at that cap rate, you wouldn't make any money. It wouldn't be worth it. You'd be better sticking your money in the stock market. Um, and right now, I think that basing a, an investment on a on a on a pro forma that relies on strong rent growth, even in response to a value add situation where you're going in and you're rehabbing the property um, and you're improving the units, I, I I continue to think that with the with the recession on the horizon and people still scratching their heads about what's happening with with unemployment. I don't think now's a great time to be buying apartment buildings. Um, nonetheless, none yet, nonetheless, sales volume has uh, has stayed rather steady; has not dipped that much at the end of this quarter. Um, uh, but it, it was it, it, you. You are, I think, in my opinion, taking a big uh, leap of faith if you're going to uh, acquire anything right now. And uh, I would bet that Q1 of next year. If the recession, if, if interest rates continue to rise, if there's still concerns about um, that inflation is out of control and that they're going to they're going to need to continue to raise rates, which will probably spark a recession, um, th- that will probably put the brakes on uh, acquiring apartment buildings, and uh, and that will slow down, and then cap rates will start to rise, um, <clears throat> and then it'll be up to you to figure out 
where that saddle point is, that magic point where you can start acquiring at at uh, a, a much better cap rate before the industry turns around and and they start to come back down again. Uh, we'll be watching for that on our end. So uh, there's my uh, there's my best guess at what's what's happening right now at uh, as we uh, enter 2023. Um, uh, this remains a a, a very interesting this remains a very interesting uh, investment vehicle, multifamily uh, apartments. And as a as a um, as a marketplace, as a as a as an industry, I think it's still a very interesting place to work. Getting more interesting as AI and um, as AI improves, and we we examine this idea of centralization and finally bringing some level of efficiency into um, into an industry that uh, for a long time was just was mired in this is how we've always done it. This is how we do things. Um, I'd like to think that Leonardo is helping to lead that charge. There are other great technology companies as well out there doing other things to facilitate all the things we're talking about. Um, maybe we'll put a few, we'll put a few links to the show notes uh, to companies that you should consider. Um, but um, as a, uh, as, as our, our student population out there who generally you are, on-site folks, operators, regional property managers, I would just say this. Think about uh, what's going to be centralized and um, move your career path into those areas that are going to be uh, great, that are going to become more important as centralization takes hold. Uh, I would not um, I would not plan to spend a lot of time as a leasing agent right now. Um, there will always be a great demand for uh, maintenance and maintenance supervisors. AI will, is never going to replace a guy who knows how to turn a wrench. Um, uh, but consider some getting uh, becoming very specialized and getting a skill, like I said, in like I was alluding to earlier, plumbing, HVAC, um, uh, painting, uh, carpet replacement. Uh, because as centralization takes hold, those uh, kinds of skills will be even more in demand. I think rather than a generalist. So. With that, uh, I wish you all happiness, health, and, um, and optimism going into 2023. We'll see you here back at the Academy when class resumes session in January. Take care.